Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome everybody to another episode of It's Told by Nomads. Today's episode is with Nick Desai. Nick is an accomplished and visionary entrepreneur who has started and led four venture-funded startups over the last 18 years. Nick is the co-founder and CEO of Heal, an on-demand doctor house call app available in Los Angeles, Orange County, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and San Diego. For Nick, Heal is much more than a company. It's a mission to fix the broken $3 trillion healthcare system. Welcome to the show, Nick. Uh, very, very nice to talk to you, and um, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on your show. Pleasure is mine. Well, why don't you get us started with telling us the story about Heal and how how it got started? Yeah, we. so I started Heal, I co-founded Heal with my wife, uh, Dr. Renee Dua, who is our chief medical officer. Um, in October of 2014, about a month before that, we had uh, taken our seven-month-old, our son that was then seven months old, to uh, the emergency room on a Friday afternoon because we couldn't get a hold of his pediatrician, and we were nervous first-time parents, and we wanted to make sure he was okay. And we sat at the emergency room for seven hours for what turned out to be something very minor or nothing really. Um, and on the way home, uh, we were I was eating a burrito, and she turned to me and said, "There has to be a better way." I'm a doctor and you're a you know tech entrepreneur why can't we make a better way for people to interact with doc- doctors and from that the idea was born hmm. and i if i if i remember i was reading something where i think you spend you you spent nearly 8 hours in an emergency room and it was an agonizing yeah. experience that you know it that was sort of what led to the idea but spending that amount of time in the in the in the, in the waiting room that that seems like a lot of time for something that's a pressing issue Yes. Well, well, the thing is, what the reason people crowd the emergency rooms, right? So why did we go to the emergency room? Because we couldn't get a hold of our pediatrician. Mm. That's why most people go to the emergency room is they want, they really want care right now because they don't know if it's serious or not, right? We're parents and we didn't know if what my son had was serious or not serious. And eight, almost 80% of all emergency room visits 
are for non-emergency and unnecessary purposes. And that's why people wait so long. Mm. Obviously, if you're having a heart attack, you got in a bad car accident, you know, stroke, seizure, uh, gunshot wound, I don't know, then the emergency room is the right place to go. But if you have uh, just an illness or an issue or urgent care or you, something you don't know, that typically the best starting point is to interact with a primary care doctor who knows you and who knows your health history and who knows your life and who can give you a great and highly personalized way to treat that issue. And that's what didn't exist in 2014. That's why we created HEAL is that in today in America, the wait times to see a primary care doctor in the 20 largest cities in this country are approximately uh, 20 days, as in three weeks, and those wait times have gone up oh, about percent. That's crazy. The wait times have gone up, as in they're increasing. So it's taking longer and longer. So if you can't see your doctor, either your little issue will become a big issue, or you have to find some alternative. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem we set out to solve, is that you should be able to, it should be as easy as it is to get a doctor as it is to get a pizza, right? Yeah. And you should be able to see a doctor at the first sign of trouble so you can get peace of mind. You don't avoid expensive and complicated tests that you don't need. You don't ignore an issue that might be serious, but you just ignore it because you can't get a hold of your doctor. And ultimately, you end up getting a higher quality of care that saves the healthcare system money by virtue of the fact that it is happening earlier in the disease cycle. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know, since you've launched, the company has driven about four point two million dollars in healthcare cost savings. You know, you you, you help reduce the ER over usage by, you know, more than sixty two percent, and you cut an operation cost by more than sixty five percent using innovation. So, there are, there are a lot of interesting numbers here. And when I was diving into really the type of problems you're trying to solve, you know, you can you can list improved doctor satisfaction, but something to the effect of Currently, 45% of a doctor's time is spent on paperwork, and they have to see up to 40 uh, 40 patients a day to break even. That seems like something that needs to be needs to have been disrupted a long time ago. If you, how can you spend 45% of your time as a doctor on paperwork? Well, it's actually not 45%. It's actually over 60%. 60% magazine is spent on paperwork and bureaucracy, and I'll tell you why. There's wow. a there's a there's a root cause to that, which is that. Since in the last 25, 27 years, since 1990, the percentage of people in America practicing primary care medicine, that is doctors, has increased approximately 0% as a percentage of the population. So if there were 1,000 patients and one doctor in 1990, there's 1,000 patients and one doctor now. Wow. In the same time period, the percentage of people working in healthcare bureaucracy and administration has increased over 5,000%. So there are 50 times as many administrators and bureaucrats. And so there's paperwork. And so doctors who spend, you know, four years in college, four years in medical school, four years in residency, typically a fellowship after that, come out of school with debt, but have this mission that they want to save lives. They want to heal. They want to be part of helping you lead a happier, healthier life. They can't do that because they spend all their time doing paperwork. And what that means is that to pay the bills and to keep their practice running, they have to see more and more patients. Because they're spending so much time doing paperwork, which doesn't generate income, they have to cram 40 patients into their waiting room and see 40 patients a day. I read an interesting data point yesterday that the average doctor will listen to a patient question only for 12 seconds 
on average, 12 seconds wow. before interrupting and giving the answer they think. And oftentimes it's not even the question the patient was asking. Now that's neither the patient's fault nor the doctor's fault. It's the system's fault that says you have to see 40 patients a day to break even, to make your, to pay your bills. And fundamentally, if we don't change that, if we don't let doctors be doctors, if we don't use software and automation to remove the inefficiency in healthcare so that doctors can spend time interacting with patients so the patients get better medical care and doctors get the satisfaction of seeing their patients get better, we will fundamentally never change healthcare. And that's what we set out to do with you. Well, okay, so this this brings me to a very big topic right now. So right now we're in the time of, of Obamacare, of Trump care, of all these, I don't know what's going on with healthcare right now. In your opinion, now that you're really invested in this in this industry, what do you feel? This might be a little different from what you're normally used to getting asked, but what do you feel is the actual problem that we need to solve to actually make healthcare something close to universal for United? It's very very interesting that you ask me that, and I think it's a timely conversation because without saying anything about politics and Obamacare, Trump Care, Hillary Care, Ryan Care, <laughs> this Care, that Care. Too much of the conversation in Washington, too much of the conversation at our political level is about policies, it's about premiums, it's about the $3 trillion this and what's going to happen in 2022 and what's going to happen with this and is Medicaid a block ground? And it's basically about who's going to pay for your health care without talking about how to, the common sense solutions that can actually improve the quality of care while reducing the cost of care, right? Just as an example, right? You mentioned we've saved 4.2 million. That's a bit of a dated number. We've now seen almost 20,000 patients. We've driven over $6.3 million in healthcare cost savings, right? By going to people's houses. We've detected amongst those first uh, 20,000 patients, 1,100 previously unknown issues amongst those patients, right? We've helped reconcile medications for people across the spectrum where they're taking prescription medications given to them by different doctors who haven't talked to each other that are conflicting and causing that patient another issue, which is completely just because of the medications that they're taking. And by eliminating those things, I don't know if you know this, but medication-related complications or inappropriate use of prescription medications in seniors in America cause, causes over 140,000 deaths a year, right? Mm. So the conversation in Washington, if we really want to fix healthcare, the conversation has to be about patients and providers, doctors and the patients interacting early in the disease cycle in an unhurried, relaxed environment where the doctor can be a doctor, where the doctor can really interact with the patient, where the doctor knows the patient not as a number on a chart or a set of numbers on a chart, but as a, as a person, as a friend, as a neighbor, as, as, as someone who lives and works in their community, and they've gotten to know that family, and they know that they have a na- their neighbor has a cat, so what they think is asthma is probably just allergy to the neighbor's cat, or they know the person has mold in their bathroom, so their migraines are probably caused by the mold, and the patient is comfortable to talk about their health history or their fertility issues or whatever the case may be that that patient really is bothering them or, or their spousal issues or the, the stress issues or, or whatever it is that is really maybe at the root that they wouldn't bring up in a hurry doctor's office visit or at a minute clinic. I mean, the def- the name minute clinic is itself 
fundamentally antithetical to the way medicine should be practiced. And if we return doctors, if we build technology that enables doctors to be doctors, and if we return them to what you would call true relationship-based care, where they are interacting with patients that they know, and they're taking the time to say, hey, oftentimes what our doctors are doing in the patient's home is saying, hey, you just have a cold and antibiotics are not gonna help. One of the other things we've done is compared to telemedicine, we've reduced the use of antibiotics when people have colds and flus about 60%. Because if you cough into a phone and you, your doctor will often write you antibiotics that you don't need. And then we all become these people who have resistance to antibiotics. So when we really need them, they don't even work for us, right? So fundamentally, I think that the right solutions to healthcare or have less to do with who's gonna pay for what and have more to do with how do we reduce the bill overall? How do we, instead of spending three trillion, how do we spend two and a half trillion or two trillion dollars and help people lead happier, healthier lives and spend more time being well and less time getting well? And if we're able to do that, all of the rest of the problems seem much, much easier to solve. So get back to the basics, which is relationship-focused and, and reduce the bureaucrat, uh, bureaucratic system that we have. I, I really love the direction that you're, you're taking this into where you're connecting patients, doctors, um, really, patients and doctors really in, in a much more personal way. But to dive into that a little bit more, you had sort of talked about how you, you know, you heal physically sees patients in their homes, offices, and wherever they are. I mean, that yeah. reminds me, it's like an on-demand, uh, Uber is not the sexy thing to say right now, but it's like a Lyft or Uber of healthcare, yeah. it sounds like, right? Um, how, how has that experience been as you're aiming to become people primary care doctors? Well, the experience is, so the fundamental difference, and I think it's important to point this out, between us and an Uber, for lack of better words, or anyone in that space, right, um, in the on-demand or gig economy space, which is so much talked about nowadays in good ways and bad ways. And I think, you know, Uber's gotten some, you know, some press hot water recently, and it's not my job to comment on them. But we are not a gig economy company in that yeah. our doctors are full-time employees of Heal. They work uh, at Heal um, as, as doctors. And what that does is that we are taking doctors out of the broken system we are taking doctors out of the area where they out of a system where they are stuck to to uh, having to see 40 patients a day where they're stuck feeling dissatisfied uh, with the medical care that they provide where they are stuck spending 60% of their time on paperwork we're taking them out of that system fundamentally and giving them an environment to care in which to practice medicine that they feel good about and that their patients feel good about and they're doing it full time i have doctors tell me all the time you know i've been practicing medicine for 20 years i've been practicing medicine for 30 years i've been practicing medicine for this years you know and a hundred percent of the time they are talking about how heal has fundamentally recaptured their love for practicing medicine mm. well let's talk about your doctors then where and how do you recruit them the doctors come from all over the map. They really do. Um, they they are either uh, sometimes young doctors, younger doctors who are early out of medical school residency uh, in their career, um, and they want to practice a different way. Um, they are uh, mid mid career doctors who fundamentally 
want to, you know, to practice better medicine than they are able to practice in the system, or they're older doctors who want to slow down a little bit and still practice, they still have exceptional clinical skills, they just want to practice great medicine instead of all the, all the bureaucracy and crap. So, and they come to us mostly by word of mouth. We actually have a waiting list of doctors right now um, in all of our markets, um, which is really, you know, obviously nice for us to have, but it fundamentally is changing the paradigm for the doctor. And and that is what we are trying to do. That, that's the whole point, is to, to, to change the way doctors practice medicine. My wife, who's our chief medical officer, has a saying, which I absolutely love, which is you can't fix medicine for patients without fixing it for doctors first, right? Mm. Happy doctors equals better care. So that's fundamentally what, how we're looking at this. I love it. I mean, this, this, I mean, it, the more you're describing this, it sounds like it's something that's common sense, but it's, you know, as we know, common sense is not the most common thing to find. But I love the fact that you've taken your tech background and it came out of such a personal story with your, your child. And you just said, why are we in the 21st century and not maximizing this? You know, and, and this is often the experience a lot of people have when we look at the healthcare, because this is a very, very technologically advanced country, why is healthcare such an issue? Why can't we pass a bill in, why do we have to rush a bill and then take it back? You know, it's, it seems to be overcomplicated for, for no reason. But then that raises questions with skeptics, like, is there, are there are people, people's pockets being fattened that we are not aware of? Now, you're in this industry now. Have you seen the system play or play an advantage to people that we may not be privy to as a public um, and fatten their pockets and maybe corporations, maybe other people that like the system as is because it generates some sort of revenue stream for them? Look, I, I'm not going to pick on anyone in particular other than to say that anytime there's an entrenched system, as we saw in the discussions in Washington, and again, over these last couple of weeks, whatever side of the fence you're on, there are there are vested interests in any system, right? Healthcare is unique in that it's a system in which everyone is generally dissatisfied, right? Doctors are working harder for less money and are not able to practice good medicine, Patients, like you said, you're here for your Nigerian and the, just to find out the answer to something simple. And you're not supposed to know. It's not your job to know. Well, is this actually a simple little thing or is this some big, giant, complicated, scary thing that I should take seriously? Right. Yeah. Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. And not ignoring it isn't a good idea. But rushing to the emergency room for every little thing isn't a good idea either. So the fundamental nature of medicine is that the payers the, the insurance companies and uh, large self-insured corporations and Medicare, they're all frustrated because costs keep going up and outcomes keep getting worse. At the same time, patients are frustrated. At the same time, doctors are frustrated. So in general, people have been very, very welcoming and supportive of Heal's innovation. Everyone's kind of rooting for this to work. Yeah. Of course, there are people, there are naysayers and doubters and whatever, but in general, people have been very, very supportive. Okay, that's good to hear. Let's take a break from Heal and sort of talk about your entrepreneurship background. Can you tell us, um, give us a timeline of all the companies you've started and why you did that? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, so I've been, you know, it's funny, yesterday was my, I, today is March 28th, yesterday was my uh, 47th birthday. Happy birthday. Um, thank you, thank you. And, and I was thinking to myself, actually, I w- it was kind of like, wow, I'm, I'm getting old, right? And I, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking to myself that I have actually now been an entrepreneur for more than my, half my life, because I started my first company when I was 23, right? This is all I ever wanted to do, right? I wanted to be a nerd, and I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so I went to UC Irvine, and, uh, University of California, Irvine, studied electrical and computer engineering, got my undergrad, went to grad school at UCLA, studied electrical engineering, had a, had a job um, at, a, at a Rockwell Science Center um, to really uh, refine my engineering chops, took some time off. And started my first company, and this is—I I think we're on number four now. But fundamentally, for me, I was saying this to my wife the other day in the car that this is what I've always wanted to do. This is what I know that I was put on earth to do: is to be a father to my kids, my two little boys who I love, and they're the only things other than my wife, you know, my family that I love more than this is to be a good dad to those little guys and to do this, to be an entrepreneur, to be someone who has the opportunity to change the world, right? You know, uh, there's a saying, right, that an entrepreneur is someone who will work incredibly hard for themselves so they don't have to work less hard for somebody else, right? And and that that's, that's part of it. But for me, it's much more about that I feel like I have been blessed with the gifts and the opportunity to make a meaningful impact on how people live their lives. And that's what I want to do. And that's what entrepreneurship gives you the opportunity to do. Look at how Google or Amazon or Uber or or, or Instacart or so many other, the iPhone or smartphones in general or wireless technology in general or Wi-Fi, how have these things changed people's lives, changed people's lives, right? Every time my parents or my wife's parents see us interacting with our kids and if they're, our kids are trying to you know, be unruly at dinner, we can put an iPhone in front of them and there's a video. These things didn't exist. You couldn't do this 10 years ago. You couldn't do it 20 years ago, right? Yeah. And just how, maybe for worse in some cases, maybe for the better, look at how Donald Trump is using Twitter. And again, not to make any political comment, mm-hmm. I certainly have my own views on that, but right. not to make any political comment, he's used Twitter in a way that no politician before him has ever thought of using, right? Yeah. To get his message out, howsoever right or wrong it may be, to his followers in a very direct and timely way, right? So that, you know, technology is not always for the better, but the fundamental nature of an entrepreneur is to be able to see what isn't there and bring it to reality. And that is something I truly enjoy doing. I, I I love it, and it's you've been a serial entrepreneur since 1997. So you know, literally, that's been half more than half your life. And congrats on that. A lot of the listeners here are in the same you know 
where they're in my generation, the millennial generation, the entrepreneur generation, the most diverse generation, but also the generation that cares about social causes and things like uh, um, things that you care about as well. The aspiring ones in the audience often like to to pick people's brain like yourself, and they want to know how it is you go about developing an idea and taking that to execution. Uh, you know, it's interesting uh, that people ask me that question all the time, to be perfectly honest, is how do you start, right? How do you get going and how do you take an idea to execution? And the first thing I say is that no two stories are alike, right? I have two little boys. They're 15 months apart in age and they're completely different from each other, right? Mm-hmm. So in a similar way, no two boys, no two companies and no two ideas are alike. And sometimes things come out of deductive or, or, or analytical approaches Sometimes an idea pops into your head. Sometimes it's a personal experience. Sometimes you start because you are pulled into something and you become the entrepreneur, the accidental entrepreneur, such as it is. Sometimes you start because, like me, this is your mission in life, is what you want to do. So no two stories are alike, but they do have some commonalities. And the fundamentally single most important things, in my opinion, are basically three things. Number one, pick an idea you're personally passionate about in these reflects your view of your imprint on society, right? Which is, this is what I want to do with my life. This thing is what I want to bring to reality in my life, right? Yeah. The second thing is, it sounds like cheesy, it sounds like a Nike slogan, it's not, but you actually, the most important thing about how to start is actually starting, right? You might start by doing a kickstand. Nowadays, there are, and, and, and we're in a very, fortunate time because there are incredibly more ways to start than there were even 23 years ago when I started my first company is there's the internet and there's Kickstarter and there's crowdfunding and there's venture and there's seed and there's angel and there's bootstrapping and there's co-working spaces. You know, back then it was literally you started in your parents' garage and you didn't know anyone else that was an entrepreneur and you had no resources and there was no internet to go find anyone. I was literally starting in the pipe pages and calling people, right? Like now you have incredible number of resources that anyone who can afford an internet connection and a computer has access to, right? And you can go to a co-working space and you can attend seminars or talks or listen to podcasts like this one. So it's about getting started. So everyone has access to those tools, but only some people start. Every time I'm in an Uber, people say, oh, I have this idea. I have this idea. And I'm like, why aren't you doing it? Well, this or that or this or that. Well, you got to go do it. Yeah, right? you got to go do it. It's really just starting. And you, you raise a great point about the type of economy we live in. I don't know if this is still the case, but in one of the interviews I read, I think it was with, with CSQ, you talked about how you have no facilities, your overhead is minimal, and you use an intelligent software to make sure people have appointments. There are companies that are being built without having physical offices. So if there's someone that has an excuse to say, well, I don't have an office, I don't have this overhead cost, you can do this on demand. It's just, you know, you can make a virtual, you know, company. And and, and the same thing I do with my business partner. We're both, you know, know, media and and diversity and inclusion um, consultants. So we essentially... You know, we don't have a physical office, but we're all over the place and we have clients in different parts of the world because we meet up when we can and we have a constant phone and Skype conversations and we, we, we get to work that way because you don't have to be physically somewhere. But the most important thing is that you're executing and you're starting and you're you're tackling the problem that you feel like you're brought in this world for. Yeah. And, and that that reality that you have these resources available is 
is obvious and it's out there, right? You know, people ask, people come into my office and take appointments or I speak at, you know, colleges and stuff and people ask me, oh, well, you know, but how did you know about the co-working space? How do you, well, do you know how to use Google? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. <laughs> but fundamentally, fundamentally, it's not that they don't know how to use or they don't know how to find. It's that they have not committed themselves to making it work because yeah. the fundamental nature of an entrepreneur is I'm in. Yeah. I'm not in if. There's no if. There's no comma. It's not I am in if I get funding. I am in if I get this. It's yeah. I'm in. So I have to get funding. I'm in, so I have to find a place to make this work. I'm in because I don't take a salary from someplace else, right? Yeah. You have to dive all in into the deep end of the pool. That's the only way to make it work. Yeah. I, I, and and I think fundamentally the third thing is the, this this thing that 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 people I, I really don't understand where this fear even comes from, but like. The worst thing someone can do to you, if you, in, as an entrepreneur, is that they can say no. Yeah. Right. The worst thing that can happen. Oh, do you want to invest in my company? No. Do you want to come work for me? No. Do you like my idea? No. They're not going to spit on you. They're not going to kill you. They can just say no. What's the big deal? What happens? If, what happens if someone says no? Who cares? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it, people really get caught up in the fear of rejection, and so they reject themselves. Yeah. And they reject their own ideas. And we don't know what's good. How? Who was to say that Twitter or Instagram or this or that or Heal, whatever, were good ideas? There is only good execution and there's only people who do and don't do. Yeah. You know, it's funny as you're saying that, you know, growing up, my initial failure and my initial fear was failure. And then as I grew older, I was like, it, my fear became not achieving my true potential. And I think we, we often get it confused thinking that everybody has an overnight success story, but the journey is your overnight success story. And you have to get to that level where you're enjoying that process because failures will happen, but the, the amount of times you get up is what would actually be the bedrock of your company. And, and, and so when, when people ask me that similar question, I always, they ask me, what are the important skills to build as an entrepreneur? I always say the first thing is to be self-disciplined because a lot of times, like you highlighted earlier, you're going to create your own opportunities initially. It's not like you're working for someone. If you're not going out there and executing and determining your leads and whatnot, doing the research, it's not going to happen because it's just going to stay dormant. And then the second thing I always say is you have to have a level of self-awareness to know what your strengths and weaknesses are. I, I've seen too many people try to compensate or overcompensate for their, their weaknesses by working on those and, and they lose a sense of what actually makes them great. Um, I imagine with your company, your co-founder compliments you in ways that you feel like they're not your skill set, right? Well, so what's interesting is with my co-founder, who's my wife and, and our chief medical officer, uh, Renee, um, it's obvious, right? She's a doctor and I'm yes, not. Yes, exactly. And she's a doctor. It's not like we had to spend a lot of time thinking about what job she would do and what job I would do in this company. I have a history of getting companies funded and building them and being an entrepreneur. And she knows how to practice exceptional clinical medicine, right? And you need both of those things. But what you said is very important. Is it is it is important to take a self-assessment, and you actually don't have to be good at everything, right? Yep. There are entrepreneurs who start tech companies, and I'm just sticking in the tech space, who are incredible coders, right? And they can they're engineers and they can code, right? I'm, I'm an engineer by education, but I couldn't write a line of software code at this point to save my life, right? It's not me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. There are entrepreneurs who are great at fundraising, or they have people skills, or they're great at building a team, or they're great at this. What's important is you are you don't have to be good at everything, but you have to be good at being self-aware yeah. and say, this is what I do well, and 
if there's a mistake first-time entrepreneurs make most often, it's two. One is they don't aim big enough. They think, well, I haven't done this before, so I'm going to start this. I'm going to start something small and then go to something big. But that's not the way it works. These aren't like movie roles where you start in a commercial and then you get into Star Wars, right? It's not how it works. Steve Jobs' first company was Apple, Mm -hmm. right? Bill Gates' first company was Microsoft, right? So Jeff Bezos' first startup was Amazon. These things have worked out. You know what I'm saying? So, and, And the second mistake that they make is not, they think they have to do, you think you have to be superhuman. You have to do every single thing well. As opposed to, I, I tell people all the time, look, I do very few things very well, but the things I do well are apparently really important to running a company, and I do them very, very well, right? But the, all the other things, I go get people for. Teammates, partners, employees, investors, whatever. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. And we're, we're getting ready to wrap up soon, so um, we'll, we'll get that. I just, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because I know it's you've built an impressive career. I mean, there are not many people that can get all their companies funded. And, and I just wanted to pick your brain on that. Um, the last entrepreneurship question I, I, I'll ask before I go to closing and more about Heal is what are things people seeking to raise money can work on as they're you know, going to ventures? Uh, so I think I think the first thing is to, to true. I think it's two or three things. Number one, truly understand how much money you actually need, right? Two, understand what's in it for the investor, right? Like we need this much money to figure it out, or we need this much money to. Nobody wants to invest in figuring it out. They want to invest in what will deliver returns, right? So what's in it for them? What does this really look like? So the second thing is build a plan that you feel realistic, whether you have a model or you have someone build you a financial model. You're not going to get money without having some sense of how the economics of this business work. And doing that and putting a hockey stick, as they're commonly called, out there that says, hey, in five years we're going to become trillionaires. Unless you believe it, don't say it, right? But yeah. pitch, pitch what you believe. Pitch with passion. Pitch what you believe. And the third most important thing is don't take no for an answer. Keep, don't worry if people say no, that is. Keep pitching, keep pitching. So you had to pitch 40 people? So you had to pitch 50 people? So you had to pitch 60 people? Who the, who cares? <laughs> it's okay, you can say what you want to say. <laughs> who uh, the fuck cares? <laughs> it's not about the 60 people who said no. It's about the one person who said yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 just, I, just, I just want you to get that chance because um, venture funding is not my particular strength. I've sort of self-funded a lot of my startups, and I, I had an angel investment for uh, the current startup I have. But I didn't, you know, venture funding is, is something that has always been interesting to me, and but, I've but, only, only observed it on Shark Tank and friends of mine. But the other thing that I would say is that use all the venues out there, okay. right? And so there's crowdfunding and these kinds of campaigns and there's social media and there's Shark Tank now and there's actual venture people yeah. and there's angels and there's friends and family and there's all of these different ways to get funding. And you, what what is the right way for you? The one that works, right? So you have to try them all. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So as for close, before we close and I ask you the mission statement of, the, of this podcast and my company, where can people find out more about you know your company and what is the grand vision for the future? Uh, heal.com, H-E-A-L.com. And um, we again, if any listeners, if you need a doctor, we I'm going to give the shameless plug, but we deliver a licensed, highly qualified, caring doctor to your door 
uh, your home, your office, your hotel, wherever, but most of the times they're house calls. For you, for your kids, um, there we have pediatricians, internal medicine, family practice doctors, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., 365 days a year. Sundays, weekends, evenings, Memorial Day, Labor Day, Christmas Day, we're open, and we get a doctor to your door within two hours, and we accept most insurance plans, so your typical cost is not more than $30 out of pocket. If you don't have insurance, you will never pay more than $99 for heal ever. Wow. Wow. If that doesn't sell you, I don't know what else will. But thank you so much uh, for talking about Heal. The mission statement of this podcast and the mission statement of everything I do is use your difference to make a difference. You know, My goal is to build the next set of global leaders, and I want to encourage individuality and celebration of diversity. So how do you, Nick, use your difference to make a difference? Uh, my difference is I'm I married to a doctor, and I'm an entrepreneur, and I was born with a father who was an entrepreneur and so i understood it and my grandfather was an entrepreneur and i understood the the this and so my unique place in the world is to combine healthcare, my ability to be an entrepreneur my sort of lifetime training in that to make a difference in healthcare, right and my own personal experience with my own children that said this is something i want to have happen in the world because i want to use it right yeah. so my, my and 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 to build a company which we are very very proud of right that reflects you said use your difference to make a diver, difference we say strength through diversity here at Heal. diversity is not something we're trying to do to be compliant or as an afterthought or hire enough women because it's, it looks good to the press or this or that we fundamentally believe in diversity at Heal because there is strength in diversity. The more different viewpoints, cultures, backgrounds, ages, genders, sexual preferences, demographics, rich, poor, old, young, whatever that you bring together in a place, healthcare touches everybody. And whether you're a billionaire or a homeless person, you need a doctor and we're the best way to get one. So that's, that's our, our view. I couldn't agree with you more. That's exactly the type of company that I like to work with. And, uh, Nick Desai, ladies and gentlemen, using his entrepreneurship skill to disrupt the healthcare industry to provide opportunities for all. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's, it's been really uh, an exciting journey learning about your, your, your process and how you got to where you are. Thank you so much um, and, and glad to be on. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, until next week, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 